sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time of Lawrence Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello and how's it going? Welcome back to the show. And if you're new to it, this is Moving the Needle Podcast. And I'm your host, Andrew Needling. Now, the uh, long-time listeners, I'm sure you're going to skip to the episode probably. I know who you are. But anyway, if you're new to the show, welcome. Thanks for downloading. Uh, I hope you can leave a review if you enjoy it or share it with a friend. That goes a long way. Now, I have a two-time Downhill World Cup winner. Some of you might not even have heard of him because he raced alongside me and retired a little bit before me, did some enduro, has done some national downhill-level coaching. He's none other than Matti Lehikoinen from Finland. We raced alongside each other my first year over there on Global Racing. He went on to race for the giant, when I say giant, the big team, Honda. Um, this was pretty much before its time it was incredible and uh, he went on to win two world cups he also had some horrendous crashes got very unlucky after getting second in the world cup series he had an off-season crash just after that and um, broke his back or his neck um, but he recovered from that and then he had a almost basically a career-ending crash later in his career he talks about all this the highs the lows the good the ugly and i think it's pretty awesome that he was open about a lot of his struggles as well as the good times so yeah without further ado enjoy this week's episode Matte Lehekoinen do I still say your name correct compared to the other retards on the circuit no, that's good what about me Andrew and Yeslin is that good I enough I think you're the one and only that that pulled off the pronunciation oh nice at least I was good at something <laughs> well, you were pretty good at a few things. Some things we can't mention on air, and others we will. Yeah, maybe. It's How been you a doing? long time coming, Matti. Oh, it has been. Yeah. What about you? Well, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've had a chat about this for ages, and, you know, the time hasn't been right, and I think now it's, you know, I was in a good headspace, and it might be a good time to do it, so. Yeah, I'm doing good. How about yourself? And you, and you and you said you're very prepared and that you heard that the best recording place is your wardrobe. So you've, yeah. you've, you're in your wardrobe now. Yeah, that's and right. Your walk-in closet. I think maybe with Cam McCall's uh, Yeah, he, podcast, he does it in his walk-in wardrobe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got to do that. Because everywhere else, you know, the, it just echoes a bit in, in the wardrobe. It's, it's not the nicest, but uh, the acoustic side might be the best. So, you know, learning from I, the pros. I appreciate the, yeah, I appreciate the professionalism. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in an office with four very hard walls and no carpet. So apparently not the best acoustic sound, but no one's messaged me yet about it. So, uh, you know, we fake it till we make it at this rate. Yeah, I might need to put my laptop on my like stick. Because it's already starting to be boiling hot. My 10 plus year old MacBook Air is probably giving up anytime soon. So that's a bit better. Have you got a charger with you? I do, yeah. I'm well prepared. Okay, well, Cam wasn't well prepared. He had to run off and get a charger. Yeah, I'm plugged in. 
I'm not sure about my headphones. I think they, they might be. I, I don't want to fiddle with the buttons now and see if they run out of battery, but I'm pretty sure. We'll do it again if it if it if it uh if it runs out. So we'll start off somewhere. Okay, speaking of temperature, today I feel like it's the first day of real summer here. It's taken like two months, but I'm not gonna complain because I'm gonna guess the temperature there is three degrees Celsius. Minus the plus. Well, I, I, it's not, it's still like it's 6 p.m., so plus three, but it's probably minus seven with that answer. Uh, it's, there's a thermometer just there, and it says minus 10.8 degrees. Minus, or how, below zero. How right. on earth did you go on to win a World Cup downhill race when three quarters of the year there it's minus degrees and snowing and the biggest hill i think i researched is like 50 meters of elevation that's right um <laughs> yeah within like a an hour and a plus radius somewhere approximate it's it's 5500 centimeters if you you know change it to to centimeters so it it sounds a lot but <clears throat> no no it's it's pretty flat uh around here and um, I don't know. I get that question a lot, and I really don't have an answer for it. And I've been, you know, lately thinking about it, and um, and I th I think it was just uh, I probably did like loads of reps, just did like laps and laps on like, you know, just a, a couple corners, for example. You know, I would just practice cornering, and I didn't really think of it as practice. I thought it was just fun. And I just rode my bike all the time. And I, I, and I think what really sort of separates the, the good from like the really good ones are the ones that sort of did their homework a little bit better than the others, you know, um, and, and, and just spend a lot of time on, on, you know, whether it was bunny hops or manuals or just whatever, you know, just bike time and, and bike handling skills. Um, they're the ones that really stand out from the rest. And, and I think it, I might've been like, you know, among one of those guys that I just did a lot of hours and, you know, attempts just trying things and, and cornering and jumping and just doing all that, you know, it was all fun and games at, you know, at the age of like 10 to 15, I'd say. And then it kind of, from there and on, it started getting a little bit more serious and, and I, I, I reckon that really gave me like a good, um, what is it? Like a basement or foundation, sorry. Yeah. To, to yeah. build upon like, I, I think that's, that's what it really was. And then, you know, when I had a chance to go ride like a bigger hills or, you know, go up north where there was a, um, a chairlift, you know, I'd really take the most out of it. I'm like, oh my God, like, you know there's a chairlift I can do like multiple laps a day rather than doing like you know multiple laps on the 50 meter hill and just push up and down which you know like you do 10 15 laps and you push up you know you're pretty exhausted after that but um I would say that that's probably what um you know was uh was the key for me which at the time I never thought you know I didn't have a, I never 
had the ambition that you know i'm gonna be pro to begin with i just rode my bike and then you know one thing led to another and all of a sudden i'm like oh, i'm i'm pretty you know pretty decent at this maybe i should give it a try it makes me think of like brendan and the surrey hills it's not like huge hills there or england for that matter but the guys do a lot of that repetition, like you said. So without knowing it, you were just building a correct technique for corners and, and maybe mentally, even as a kid, like trying to get faster and faster. And then you started figuring out corner technique. Well, like you said, wheelies. It makes me, reminds me of myself as well. Like the heels are quite small. So when you do get overseas, you do appreciate it and you, and you, and you really want to do as much riding as you could. And it makes me think of when you came out of winter. Also, don't you think later on, when you came out of winter where you weren't riding as much, you were just so stoked to have good weather. You were just so happy to be riding and you just sort of caught up the reps that maybe we did over like two months. Like remember when you came back and you used to ride behind Greg, but in the beginning, like it was quite tough for you, but you just forced yourself to get those reps again because you'd come out of winter. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I think it was just as you said, like, you know, um, First of all, not seeing dirt, like, and just riding on snow, and 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 once you get, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, you, absurd that you didn't see dirt before some of like the preseason testing and stuff back in the day. Oh, totally! Like, you know, that's you know, it, that's it. Like, you you really don't like after Christmas time. It obviously depends on the winter, but like most when most winters it would be like from December to like April. You don't really see it's just not so um you know going into like pre-season testing and stuff you were just so so stoked to ride your bike and then um definitely didn't take it for granted you're like once you got out of the snow you really took advantage of it and you know trying to try to ride as much as you could and and you know i, I learned a lot from greg and obviously tried to follow him and sort of you know get up to speed and and i think you threw out my career like if you look at any of my results i was always a bit rusty at the beginning of the year because you know not spending time that much on the bike later later in the years of my career i you know tend to go uh, overseas like to california and southern spain and stuff and ride a bit more but um you know majority of the winters well let's say the years that i did really good i Pretty much the first time I rode my downhill bike again was like at the off-season testing, which in some cases was like a week before the first walk. And I'm like, hmm, how did it go again? And then, you know, just hopped on and and started riding. Um, really? Is, are those, like those years, where I was going to ask about it, but you've brought it up. It's a brilliant topic of sometimes not having downhill time. You obviously trained and kept fit and you're a fit athlete. But do you think that was you were just hungry and excited and you never you didn't really get burnt out because you were, say, rusty in the beginning and always trying to find your feels and your speed. And then by mid-season, it clicks and then you're not really burnt out where I was probably a little bit more burnt out by like halfway through the season. I had to really push through. But it sounds like there was like times when you didn't ride. And then also remember when you were in the army, the forced army, where you went away for six Six months was it? So you barely rode as well before a season. Yeah, that was between oh five and oh six. We had a well, we have a, a you know military military that I had to attend for six months. Um, so it's a mandatory for for most people in Finland and and 
Is it still that? There? Yeah, it still is. Yeah, still to this day. And like that year, I I remember it was like maybe just after I finished World Cup, I was straight into the army, and then I got out of it. And Vigo World Cup in 06 was the first time that I raced that year. So my first race of the year was Vigo World Cup, and then I think I did go to Spain for like a couple of weeks, maybe in March, but that was it. And yeah, so I also had like my shoulder reconstructed at that off season. So, you know, the, I'd say the military was a bit more like a boy scout camp. It was pretty fun looking at it now, you know, obviously. What was, was it, what was it, what was it like? Were you, were you pissed off at the time that you had to go and you couldn't ride or you couldn't be at home? Like what, what was oh, it like? Oh, you're absolutely devastated. And you're only in your early 20s. So I, I went late and like you meant to go when you turned 18. I was 21 when I joined it. And, you know, if, at the time it feels like it's the end of the world. You know, I'm signing my life off. I'm going to the military. And you were just, I think it really depends on how you like take it. Um, and I surely wasn't the guy who was the most positive about it. And I think that really made it hard for my, oh, I made it hard for myself because I hated it. Um, but the funny thing is like looking back at it now, uh, the, the, the memories that I have are all positive. You know, obviously there was times that you were cold and hungry and, you know, get like an hour or two sleep at the time. And, you know, you got to freaking ski in, you know, in like knee deep snow and pretend that you're in a war and you're just like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, why are we doing this? But if I could do it now, I, you know, I, I would, I would go definitely again. It was, but maybe by the time I get there, I'd be like, oh, what did I sign myself up to? But it's, um, yeah, it was good times. And I went to like a military sports school as well. So I didn't really get to, you know, see like the whole scale of, or like a, um, you know, what the real military would be like. So everybody was that was there was um, athlete or pro athlete too. And um, so, yeah, you know, everybody had a pretty good bond and stuff, you know, similar, <clears throat> similar interest and, you know, ambition to, to be good at any sport that, you know, well, that they did. And so, you know, it was, it was good times. I'm still like friends with, with the, with the guys that it was in my unit. So um, definitely, you know, made, made good, you know, lifetime friends, I'd say we don't stay in touch all the time, but every now and again, we, you know, have a WhatsApp message like, oh, it's, you know, 15, 16 year anniversary since we got out of there. So it was, you know, fun times. That's awesome. It's kind of sometimes we don't share message for a long time, but when you chat or you see each other, it's you know it's kind of the the brotherhood that you that you that you form. And I've never been to the army, and I'm sure it would have done me some good, but I didn't want to go back then. But it's kind of the brotherhood of the racing circuit, you know. And we all want everyone to do as well as we can. And you know, if someone gets injured, we all all get together. But we've obviously spoken about a bit, and you mentioned if people were not really aware of your career and where you're from you're from finland and we we spoke about how horrendous the weather is but for me i'm i'm quite interested because there's probably not a big race scene so at what point did you go overseas or what are those like first memories of saying okay i need to get to the european champs or i'm going to go to junior worlds where you kind of maybe realized i want to make a career of it or i could make a career of it <laughs> 
Yeah, I was like when I first started. I like I said earlier, I never had the you know my idea wasn't like oh I want to be pro. It was like a dream that sort of seemed so unreachable. You know, I'd watched Bulio and Palmer and Tomac and those guys on on Eurosport, and that was pretty much like the only thing I could sort of get access to to downhill. And you know, occasionally you get them in a national magazine you you know try to read it which I, at the time i didn't really speak much english so i couldn't understand a whole lot but you know i'd look at the photos and like oh those you know the bikes are cool and whatnot and um i must have been like 14 started you know bought my first downhill bike um and then straight off the back i was pretty fast like i, I won i think i won like every single round in my like youth category or like age category at the time and i was pretty compatible um comparing to the uh to the older older juniors and then it must have been 99 i got my first proper downhill brake uh downhill bike with disc brakes and that was you know that was huge rock shocks then cable pull disc brakes with like three bolt rotor and you know the brake pad must have been like i don't know size of like a you know one centimeter by two like tiny little thing 140 rotors and for me that worked fine i've heard a lot of people struggled on those brakes but i probably weighed like 50 kg at the time so you know i was fine with it but anyway um and i was still our like racing uh categories go like 14 16 and 18 junior or 18 men so i was racing at the 16 and under men and i was beating all the juniors and and being almost the fastest of all the elites as well at the age of 15. so i got like recognized by by the federation and they uh they sent me in for the european champs in 99 and that was my first uh first time i actually get to go uh, abroad that was actually the first time i ever went on an airplane at the at the age that i could actually recall or remember something you know and funny things you know just looking at oh you get those tiny little soda drinks now you don't get them for free anymore but at the time you did and i was like oh this is so cool and you know seeing palm trees for example like my friends still take piss out of me like we got to we flew to barcelona and i'm like holy shit there's a palm tree i've never seen a palm tree like things that you would you know never think about it but like yeah if you haven't seen a palm tree you how would you know yeah uh, and um so yeah went to la Molina in spain and yeah i still remember it like yesterday and it was just amazing you know the, the hill must have been like three four minutes long or like the track and i would just keep doing laps laps and laps and laps i don't even remember like eating or drinking or anything or that you know there wasn't any structure or anything i was just riding i'm like oh this is the best there was thing no ever. thinking you're gonna get tired for the race you were just gonna no nah, i wasn't no nah, i wasn't practice thinking was done yeah i you know i'd practice until you know until dusk for sure you know i didn't um, wasn't that the best part back then like practice i just remember as a kid i just loved practice i just loved oh yeah yeah, like you know, it wasn't stressful. You weren't trying to, you know, you were just natural to figure the lines out. But in the beginning, yeah, it was I, just like the funnest part of the weekend, really. 
Oh, absolutely. And like, I mean, uh, I still follow the sport. Like, I'm I'm a you know super fan of downhill and and watch all the races. And and I'm looking at like the schedule and stuff, and it it looks like, geez, like how did the guys, you know, put it together in just a matter of hours, like a couple of hours. We used to get like two full eight hours a day practices, and then, uh, and then. Uh, yeah then quality and then a race and i i think especially like i'd use most of the practice in like just to just to learn and just to ride and get used to the bike and stuff now you got to do all that stuff out of the races be you know you got to be on point from first practice or on you can't do like just run and or ways to run and just cruise down at least that's what it looks that's like true, on the outside oh, that's yeah true you really got to be on yeah. yeah on point where back then it was you know different and i and i think to any other junior that would be coming in or getting into the sport now it's much harder than what it was um back then just because we get so or got so much practice um but yeah what was we were talking about your first part. Euros when you went went over and kind of oh, got yeah. a taste of international racing and maybe yeah. like seeing other competitors or some stars that you knew of maybe. Yeah, that's right. Um, Euros at the at that year, I think there must have been like a World Cup or Norba or something like that. So it's a bit disappointing. There weren't that many fast riders. I can't remember like, but I definitely remember like seeing like the rock shops like the box of triple x forks on like crap or carrick anderson's bike and was just like mind-boggled like oh this is so cool and you know some people already back then had like some telemetry um on their bike and uh my forks i think my like my no i didn't i had like a one of them the first generation rock shops boxers with like six inches of travel so the boxer pro one before the 151 and tim flukes he hooked me up with a one of them drop uh drop a crowns or like the top crowns and i was just mind boggled that i, I got this for free like this is amazing <laughs> like, you know just to you know to to alter my head angle a little bit to get the you know get the fork legs uh pulled out a bit further and then i was like blew up my rear shock as well and he hooked me up with with a new not a new shock but probably fixed the shock and stuff and and i was just like i i just couldn't believe it i'm like is this like you know the treatment that the pros get that they get the suspension service on site like and not take it to a bike shop like i've never seen or even heard of you know there weren't internet or anything so i could you know i knew nothing about it and it was just so yeah, thanks, Tim. You know, you hooked me up back in '99. I don't remember if you remember, but I don't know if you remember, but I remember it like yesterday. It was you know, and those are the things that really like, you know, stuck in my mind, and 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 also the tracks that you know the track would just go on and on and on for or at least it felt like eternity, and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I must have been talking about that trip for like the rest of the summer, how great it was, and. And he was, and and I think it really set me on a path that I I was on for another the next ten years or longer. 
Yeah, it sounds like the catalyst that that, that carried on that motivation. Um, I have a similar similar story when I went to Sierra Nevada, Spain for World Champs, and I was fifteen at the time. We must have been at the same <laughs> race. Oh, we were at the same race because I was there as yeah, well. well we the, we're both eighty-four, so we we were allowed yeah. to. I don't. Did you go to Junior Worlds three times as a junior? I did. Yeah, I would have got selected to the yeah. Aura World Champs as well, but I was too young to race. But I was there yeah, watching. So, yeah, so you would have been in Sierra Nevada. And, I was, uh, yeah. I I borrowed, <laughs> this is how bad it was, I borrowed a Manitou tie triple clamp four. So it wasn't even mine, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and put this on like a shitter bike at the time. And um, there's apparently someone was, the only reason I know how why this happened is because someone from the lift, because I just had this huge crash and I didn't know why, but it, they were quite. They got quite sticky. So for the listeners at home that are spoiled with current bikes that you don't even really understand what we're saying, but if you didn't service them regularly enough and there was a lot of dust, the stanchion would get quite sticky. So these forks apparently, like we were going into the braking bumps, and they got so sticky that they just kind of like weren't going down. And next thing I had like a really big bump, and the thing flexed back and just snapped the crown, and I went flying over the bars, huge crash, and I just thought I'd hit a braking bump, but someone said, no way, it's like, that's, it, it, that does happen. Yeah. And uh, I also had to beg, borrow, and steal, and my, my um, dad's family friends at the time, uh, Erica Green, she went to Olympics for cross-country, and they were on, like, factory TT or getting support. So we, like, side-doored those black boxes, and they had, like, the triple X on it, I think, or tr something. It was, like... It literally the Steve Pete fork, like he had yeah. it on his GTI drive. So we're going down memory lane. So yeah, I got one of those forks. Like, I don't know how much my dad had to pay on the side, but we had no choice. And so yeah, I wrote yeah. this, you borrowed fork. So that was, it brings back memories. And that was same. When I saw the guys, I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try race a bike. If you can, you can clearly do it for a living. So, you know, why not? Did, did so your so guys fast bike forward. Yeah. No, no, I remember like going back to speaking of Sierra Nevada. There's like a whole bunch of people's bikes got stolen. That they there was like a hotel that had a shipping container, and like they 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 stole a whole like the whole shipping container overnight with like a whole bunch of races. I think no, a lot of the French riders, luckily, bike, it wasn't us. No, luckily it wasn't because the poor South Africans can't afford new bikes. So, but that was like a huge issue at World Champs, especially European ones back in the day. Yeah, a lot um, of bike bikes were getting quite an getting issue. Eh? Yeah, because I and at the time there was, I'm pretty sure there were people people riding just borrowed bikes, just like you know they'd be sponsored by Scott and whatever, and be riding a borrowed Intense or uh, yeah, you know uh, Santa Cruz Super Eight at the time or stuff like that. So. I remember that happening. So there's some, some odd, um, odd things happening overnight, and people, people's bike was getting stolen. And uh, but I had a similar story things, of do you, do you... speaking having crappy yeah. forks at Sierra Nevada because it was whole, that super fine dust, and my yeah. my freaking my box of forks. It must uh, that year I got the one nine one five ones, which were. Updated, You're quite a, had a like a bike geek. Huh? I don't remember. Oh, but I was I was massive You're a huge bike, bike geek. huge. Like you know, I'd remember the cranks and shocks and frames. I was massive bike geek. You know, I know all the riders. Like I'm looking at 
the result like some old World Cup results from like nineteen seven, and I can remember everyone's face until like the top twenty. It's crazy, and but probably like, what bikes and forks and shit they were on. Oh, absolutely, but not like you know. There was a time period that I, I don't remember much because I wasn't into it. Um, you yeah. know, from like after I stopped racing until the recent years. But anyway, like my my forks were because they had that. It was super dusty, and my fork was leaking oil so badly that I I had to keep like topping it up, and then. I, I had these white trousers and they were literally just covered in oil because every time a fork would like bottom out, it would just skirt oil from the top seals. And, you know, this is another story going to rock shocks. I wasn't sponsored by them or anything. And, and going there and like, Oh, you know, can you, can you help me with my walk? And all I got was just a tissue or like a rag. And it's like, Oh, just put this in your pocket and just keep wiping it. Cause we ran out of seals. They had like no more seals because everybody was struggling with the same problem. And so I had this, my fork was leaking so bad. I had to keep wiping the lowers that the oil wouldn't get to my brakes. And it just goes to show how like, I guess everybody was on the same boat. Like bikes were pretty poor at the time. Obviously they were like the best that Bonnie could buy, but they weren't as good, nowhere, you know, nowhere as good as they are uh, these days by any means. So. But yeah, it was it was pretty no, funny. Like. Not at all. And do you remember speaking of crazy shit? Do you remember it's snowing overnight? It's here in Nevada because it's above tree line, and it was June, middle of summer in Spain, but it's quite high up, and it snowed overnight. Oh, I did, yeah, and I, I was loving it first day, like the first morning. Yeah, practice. I, I would have. Yeah, you would have just been the first guy on the lift. I my fucking hands almost froze off, man. Yeah, because I must have felt like. I was so familiar with it, you know, riding in like freezing conditions and like snow. I wasn't, I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know, like, um, but I, I also heard like a lot of people didn't even bother doing practice because they assumed that um, the snow would be gone by, by afternoon, which it was, you know, it had all melted. So there's no point like getting your head all messed up. And, but once again, I probably did like three practice runs or as much as I could. The race morning wasn't bothered about getting tired. I just wanted to ride. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, that was my second trip overseas riding, um, and once again, I must have been doing like, I don't know. I wish I did like a, a count, like oh, I must have done like ten practice on a day. But I just loved the riding, and and uh, there's another funny story about world champ. I remember like seeing Mick Hanna on. They had like two chairlifts. One you had to first take up and then switch lift uh, halfway up to the top. Don't remember if you. Yeah, I remember that. And, yeah, I remembered like it was yesterday that first. Oh, like every, oh totally. And I remember seeing Mick, and I'm like, oh, you know the the course marshal or like the course like the the sweeper rider. He's pretty good. Like he's going fast. Had no knee pads, no gloves, no goggles, nothing. And on like, <laughs> you know, like a. He had a Santa Cruz Super 8, which was like... I think it was a Santa Cruz, yeah. Santa which, Cruz something, yeah. Probably must have had, like, so many cracks on it that it was all, you know, it was all, like, home, uh, like, like and welded and had stuff. Plastic, had, like, he had plastic plastic guards. Like a, to, yeah. Plastic guards so that, like, it, if he crashed, it didn't break the derailleur. 
Like, yeah, that's right. And, like and that. I'm, I think he had also like a this plastic thing on his rear wheel spokes, at least on one side that his, you know, meth wouldn't go into the spokes or something like that. Yeah, because he did and, so much riding at home and, and they didn't have the resources like probably me and you, but maybe even worse. I mean, he's talked about it. They didn't have much resources to get him over there. Yeah, but that, that's like my... And I, I clearly remember seeing him from the lift and I'm like, holy shit, that guy is pretty fast and he's got no pads and just like board shorts <laughs> and t-shirts. And then... Dude, and, and how, we, but, we how didn't strong pay... did he look for a kid? Yeah, exactly. Like, but I didn't think much of it and until like the seating and I'm like, hang on a minute. The test rider fella, I didn't know his name. He got sick in the qualies or he was fastest at the qualies. And I'm like, <laughs> well, how did that happen? Because I think Philip <laughs> Philip Polk was like the favorite to win the world at the, at the time, yeah, like, okay. and yeah, it was. But yeah, it was definitely, definitely some very memorable stuff. And you know, now we're going down yeah, the memory line into it. And anyway, no, we we, we cool. should. There was, and you mentioned that people didn't go to practice. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but Sierra Nevada. I've, the year 2000, Miles Rockwell that won the race. Look, Vulios did get a slow flat, but he had like that system, the Michelin system. Yeah. But Miles Rockwell, the rumor, the talk is he looked out the window, he saw the snow. And when I say snow, it at, at eight in the morning or seven when you wake up, it was covered in snow. It wasn't just no, it was. Light. It was like you, five. You, wrote, you broke the snow when you were riding. Like there was snow. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. Uh, he looked out, but he saw the sun was out and saw the forecast was like hot again. You know, it was like 25, 30 degrees up there in the afternoon and his race is at four or whatever. So he just went back to bed. He didn't, he didn't practice. He was like, why would I go out from nine to 10, do two runs in the snow or mud? And he went and won the race with no morning practice. Pretty cool. Huh? Yeah. But yeah, I don't even know if it was a plan. It's more like he just didn't really give a shit. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that I've heard the same story. Maybe it was you talking about it, or he must have said no, it himself because he I've he seen lived in, an in or something. Yeah, that's right. Because he, you know, he lived at like a similar climate somewhere, and was sort of used to the weather. I was thinking like, oh, you know, the snow is going to be, snow is going to be gone by, you know, uh, by the afternoon, and didn't bother getting out of bed and practice, which was probably a smart thing to do. Where. Yeah. We, me and Absolutely. you were like struggling with our bikes and... Well, we were just, yeah, like so excited and didn't know that you could miss... We wouldn't be able to think that far that we could miss practice and it would do us some benefit. And later on, <laughs> no. clearly we learned that 20 runs the day before a race is not the best preparation. Sometimes less is more. But you've got to hit your head as a kid, you know, like physically yeah, you and, just, you, and mentally. You, you come into it and you're just so raw and like i well i didn't speak much english so there's there weren't that many people that i could actually speak to apart from like katia repo who who was second yeah. at the at the women's race so all my knowledge that i pretty much got was from her and like the health and you know i i knew no one well i knew everyone but i you know i'd never spoken to anyone or nor i could speak couldn't speak to anyone because i didn't speak any english so um, how, how many juniors like when you were co you know you were coaching Norwegian team and all sorts and like it doesn't matter what you tell them it doesn't matter that you experience it doesn't matter that you can see what's going to happen they have to do it like you'll tell every junior I remember at the South African team 
All right, guys, I know you're excited. It's just <laughs> another race. Like Sunday is the race. Wednesday, you know, sometimes Wolves had like way more practice, way more practice days. We're like, tomorrow's Wednesday. Then there's Thursday. Then there's Friday. The race is only on Sunday. We, we you know, we, our goal is to make it to the race. And oh my goodness. So just calm down, enjoy it, get a feel. There's literally two or three guys that crashed within two runs. One guy's at the hospital already, like just so excited. Like what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah. Just, I'm, I'm just going to go do runs as far yeah, as exactly. I'm so excited. And then you have like the biggest crash of your life, second round. And there's no yeah. structure. You're just excited to go out and ride. Like where I, I think the French, they've got so much knowledge and stuff over the years from, you know, the record, the track record, the Bay world championship. They, what they have is that, you know, um, it's got to be, well, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to be easier for them, but at least they, they probably know a thing or two ahead of um or like beforehand when they before they go to to world cups where me and you would just showed up got our bikes and off we went and rode and then you know um you know we live and learn i suppose but looking back at it now i wish you know i was a bit more ready in at least or but the, i don't know how i would have gotten any uh, any tips from anyone or, uh, or, or, you know, being more prepared, I guess you, you just have to learn as you, as you go, or at least I did and like, like, and, and, and go from there to live and learn. But learn you did. So f let's, let's fast forward a bit. I mean, you were picked up by Martin Whiteley and, and global racing as one of the, the people on that team. And then we had a, the, the, the team kind of took a pause and then we met each other as teammates and it, it wasn't full factory support. And then what, well, I mean, I really want to dig into, I mean, you were then put on Honda and you rode this, this crazy bike that, that at the time was just ridiculous that Honda was coming into the downhill world and you were alongside Greg Minar and then the young Brendan also joined the team. But like, speak to me about maybe getting the call, the email, about joining a team or getting the opportunity to ride for, for Honda? Um, well, before Honda, there was actually global racing. And then uh, it's funny that we spoke about Mick because I, in 2001, I won the European champs as a junior. And then uh, the same year, Mick was the favorite to win the junior worlds. He was, you know, he was alongside with Craig and Missy and those guys. Global was, you know, just a big new team that just come out. And Mick was definitely, you know, I think he podiumed and was like top five at the World Cup overall, like until like the last race where he injured himself, broke his collarbone. So I was at home. I got the call and like, hey, look, you know, Mick is injured. We want you to fill in for him for the. 2001 world champs in Vail, Colorado. And I was just like, oh my God, like, you know, is this for real? And then, um, I mean, you know, my heart started to race just thinking about it. And, you know, what now? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, cause is it I, all of a sudden I was put into so much pressure, you know, uh, if you look at the history, 
uh, everyone that's pretty much won the junior European champs have been top three at the junior worlds. So I got given this four-week contract, so one month. If I had to win, um, you know, I'd get a contract plus 20 grand bonus and it would have secured me like a $6,000 monthly pay for the following year. So all of a sudden from like being working at the back of a bike shop, paying from a tube, I tubes, I get given this contract that if I win the world, I get this, but if I don't, I get nothing. Basically that's sure. I, I'm sure there was like top three podium bonuses, but like it was huge. And I'm like, oh my God, like, is this for real? And um, going into that race, you know, then 9-11 happened. I was first time traveling to America. All of a sudden, you know, I flew to uh, Denver and then I got picked up by someone at the team, but taken straight to their accommodation. You know, I didn't know anyone. All of a sudden this Missy, Craig, Craig's just won the World Cup overall. And, you know, Sean McCarroll and the whole crew is there. And I'm like, I got like picked up, you know, from like the sidelines and then put into the, the big show. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I was so like, I, they, I just couldn't handle the pressure. I was, all I was thinking about was just like, oh, if I, you know, if I win the world, you know, I'm going to be able to buy myself a freaking car next year. I'm turning 18, you know. Like it was, you know, I think if, if it would have been handled a bit different, obviously, you know, if and if, but it's, uh, it's pretty crazy to look at it, look at it now. And then, um, you know, the materians could have maybe handled the paperwork. They probably didn't understand a whole lot of it. Cause every, you know, I was just young and naive and didn't understand what was going on. Uh, I think the outcome would maybe be in a bit different if I would just like, oh, you know, you get this bike and then go on and, and race. Don't worry about anything else and the rest will come. Yeah, but, I think uh, in hindsight, everyone would have probably done it differently. I mean, to thrust a kid into this new situation, a factory team, and then maybe I guess we would do it differently now hearing that because it's just no surprise that it didn't go as well as it maybe could have, you know, the bike and calming you down and, but to have the carrot of the contract, like, wow, what I can get, it's like win or nothing. But if you were just able to be calm, like I would have probably kept the contract quiet till after the race. If you won, but like here, surprise. <laughs> now yeah. we can talk about next year, you know, when you're yeah. like, Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. But it's, it's no surprise a youngster, you know, crippling under that sort of, sort of pressure and expectations and you couldn't obviously stay in the present. Did you, but I got, like, I got the bike. The I, did you ride already, tight or did you crash? Uh, I think I was, I had a pretty good quality. Um, maybe top two. I think I was second or third. I didn't win the quality, but I was pretty, you know, I was up there and I've actually tried to look up, the results but for some reason my name doesn't show up because i'm not sure if i finished the race but i had a freaking huge crash massive in like the under the yeah in the race um you've had some big crashes 
yeah, like back then I was wearing, you know, the full Dionysus. So, you know, walked off with just, you know, a few few bruises probably, but <clears throat> um, but yeah, it was fine. I didn't hurt myself or anything, but you know, it was a it was pretty dis- big disappointment. Like I was once the race was done and dusted, I remember I was just spewing in the hotel because it was sort of I was just so sort of relieved, you know, the pressure went away and like, you know, I, I fail, like, you know, it's done and dusted. You know, there's nothing I can do about it now. And it was I had some, you know, pretty like mixed feelings about the race. Obviously nine eleven was happening yeah. and then it was like the whole thing like, oh we're gonna race or not and you know, one day practice was cancelled and everyone was sort of doubting like what you know what's gonna happen. And um so yeah, it was it was definitely pretty some like some some tough times and not something that I wished upon anyone to put into that situation all of a sudden because it definitely wasn't pleasant. Um and I you know I'd I'd never been in a situation like that. It was just it was crazy. Like I just I just had no when, idea when did you how, ride how the to bike deal with it. For the first time. I actually um I had the bike you already. It, you just ride it for the first at home. You had the bike at uh, home. I did have the bike at home because Cesar Rojo was injured and he was Caprun. No, it was Lazy and World Cup in 2001. And my, I had a Scott at the time and I think the frame or the back end or something happened. The bike snapped in two. Um, and I had to, you know, get, I was at the World Cup and I had to get a bike and I didn't have a bike. So Martin, Martin gave me a bike that says I wasn't at the race and I, I, um, I raced his bike and that was my actually my first ever world cup i qualified prior to that i had done two world cups which was maribor and vars and i didn't qualify uh both of them and then i got the borrowed bike and i was like oh this is freaking amazing you know i had the factory suspension and proper working brakes and i i must have qualified like i was well up top 20s like i must have qualified like 14 15 something like that and obviously it was a new situation to me again i'm like you know being at the top with like Julio and craig and and all the top dogs pascal and them lot and i'm like what are they doing like they want like what are these roller things that they cycling and warming you know i had no idea and there i was and I was just so excited about uh, that I actually qualified. I didn't care about the race, but I still went for it, clearly, knowing me. And I must have had like two huge crashes. Just didn't, <laughs> didn't know how to race at the World Cup. And uh, finished somewhere off the back, but I was just like, so excited that I qualified. And the week after that was Caprun. And I qualified for for the second time, which was my fourth ever World Cup, and I finished 16 in elite as a yeah. And let's let's uh, as a first year junior. So we kind of jumped a bit. So that yeah. yeah so it's juniors that was, were there was no junior category. So no, there weren't. If you wanted to race a World Cup, you're in the elites, so top 80 at the time. So you're in with yeah. the big boys, like you said. So it is a daunting task. And if a junior was able to qualify, you, I think that's clearly why you get picked up. You're showing some serious potential. You know, there was no, 
there was no faking it there. You weren't like, oh, I got fifth in juniors, but if you compare the times, it's maybe not that good. But here, direct comparison against the big boys, huh? Yeah. So I had like, um, I had the bike because I did the two races. And then, you know, I was just meant to race that bike at World to maybe, you know, get some support from Global. But then once Mick got injured, you know, I got given like this fill-in contract which was um yeah he was huge um obviously did go by the plan but you know kind of funny about it funny to to look at it now how how it how all you know pieces of the puzzle kind of fall into place so it wasn't like that i randomly would have just got the phone call like hey you know come race for us for the world champ so there was like a lead up to it and i, I had the bike i raced it and and um, so I was pretty familiar with the bike and I was going to race that bike anyway for the world champs. But <clears throat> now it would have been like under the colors of global racing. Because I think it was, you know, like a big thing for the Japanese um, uh, sponsors that they had at the time. Yeah. So, but that yeah. Was, but um, I... That team was pretty factory. And like, that's quite a moto thing to have a fill-in rider. And, and, and Martin was almost like ahead of his time with, with having these plans and, and earmarking talent and stuff. And then you guys would, would work together quite a bit. And then, like I asked before, like you've given the kind of prelude to factory teams and being a junior and, and, and uncomfortable situations. But by the time you were on Honda, um, you were comfortable at the World Cup stage. You were showing speed. You deserved that ride 100%. Um, <coughs> what about like, I mean, to talk me through Honda, I mean, us from the side, us competitors, we, we were so jealous just to be involved in such a crazy program and the, the allure, like no one was allowed in the pits and no one knew what was in the frame, like the gearbox, like it was ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny how you mentioned that you were so jealous. I've never thought about that aspect, but maybe, yeah, maybe some riders would have been good, um, would have been jealous about it because obviously there were so many you know mysteries and no one's allowed to ride it or touch it or you know everyone's sort of guessing what was inside the gearbox and and how the thing how the thing works so there was a lot of hype around the team and yeah it was definitely it was pretty even like i need to pinch myself every now and again that i freaking wrote for hrc like the factory honda and and uh but yeah the, it was definitely awesome program to be involved with and coming like when i got the call that i i was you know honda wanted to sign me and stuff it was cool because i'd just come off like pretty much a year of being a privateer um there was like a massive dip in the sponsors like <clears throat> from 2001 a lot of teams started to fall apart like gt went away and then like 2002 was sort of the final year that most like big teams went away there wasn't a whole lot out there like pd started his own thing with orange and and a lot of the big teams you know people um downshifted to like sprint events and all the big trucks and massive awnings and tents and so the the, the sport was in in like a pretty bad spot when i was signed for my best ride at the time so it was it was it was good and bad timing I think for everyone, especially money-wise, it was 
really bad, at least for me. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, getting 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 the call from Honda, and I remember I was just like, oh, you know, I got like I got the good tires, I got the good suspension, and and you know, there's nothing that's going to be holding me back. You know, the year before that, I was just struggling, traveling with a friend, and had some you know really bad tires and was just puncturing pretty much at every race and like breaking stuff and suspension wasn't i wasn't like factory SRAM and i think SRAM even they stopped having the big truck for like a couple of years like rock shocks well sorry yes rock shock it was like rock shock stopped making rear shocks for for the bikes like we had the black box rear shocks at the global day and then in 2003 um, rocks have stopped making rear shocks and that that went on for quite a few years um until like probably 2006 or five they started making rear shocks again so everybody was on like had a rock shock fork or like a fork shock or there was a progressive suspension a fifth element made rear shocks and me and you were on the fifth element shock on the on the global team yeah on on orange on global yeah yeah, and then, yeah exactly right, it took a while and and know, so it wasn't the greatest time for rear suspension back then for sure no not at all and like even you know i think a lot of the components that i was on uh in all four before i got on honda i was like you know yes finally i get on a good bike and i think you know i'm gonna have good results next year because at least i'm not giving you know I'm not having this advantage over the over the uh, equipment that I was on. Um, I think the bike was okay. I was on all. The suspension was the best part of that package, surely. That's what I heard oh, later on. The show on and Honda. the way those guys, yeah. When you were on Honda, yeah, I, would you say yeah, I think the so. best thing about the team was actually the suspension and those technicians and, and getting that catered to you like almost run after run? A hundred percent. Like we had, we had a uh, suspension technician, Toyota, Shirai, and you know, yeah, he was with us. Yeah, his name for, was Toyota, working yeah. for Honda. Yeah, exactly. No, he worked for Showa, so it was... Oh, it for was Showa, like, yeah, but on the Honda yeah, team. I was just taking piss yeah, of the name, but he was awesome, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he was, so he was contracted with Showa, and he would be wearing like the same stuff that you know, the, if you look at the AMA motocross, they have the Showa technician with like full blue with Showa uh, outfits. And he was with us like every single race. And, you know, you'd get your suspension tailored. And I think I'm pretty sure that I overheard like Craig saying that he learned a lot about bike setup or like suspension setup because of um, because of Toyota and the um, Showa guys. And because we, we also had to do quite a bit of testing. And I, I learned a lot about um, suspension as well. Like, you know, I just couldn't believe how good the suspension was, what we had. Like, it was it was a so plus. And, like, you could get anything done uh, and tailored the, you know, the way you want it. It was just a matter of you being able to give the input uh, or the output of the of the suspension to the guy and they would tailor it for you and uh, for me there was a bit of a language barrier because i i didn't know like all the all the technical 
like words and stuff like how you know how the, how the suspension works and let alone like saying it to someone who's Japanese and so it was you know a lot of hand signals and this kind of things and you know just comparison but end of the day we got the suspension working great like going to like for example like um uh yeah it was we were testing for the fort william world champs and i had like two different suspension setups and i was putting similar times on both of them and i couldn't really you know i was just just as fast on both both suspension setups and i felt fine and um I just couldn't make up my mind. Like oh, I didn't know they they felt different, but I couldn't really tell um, which one was better. And then when when Worlds came along, you know, Toyota taking the stuff to Japan and had a dyno, and then you know brought like the better stuff, which had you know um, had like you know better characteristics for for like that track. So. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was awesome, awesome project to be part of. It's funny when you look at the photos of the bikes and stuff, it was, it's tiny. Like, I think like the geometry on that thing must have been, yeah, it was, I don't know. It just, it just looks off. But well, I think I that's how think most bike, bikes were. But... In hindsight, in hindsight, that bike geometry wasn't that good. And it had seven inches of travel from what I remember. Yeah, was it had it bit ever, less yeah, and like shot. Brendan and like Brendan couldn't ride your size, like you had a size, and then they made one for Greg. And correct me if I'm wrong. And then Brendan was like in between, but he couldn't ride your size, it was too small, so he had to ride Greg's size, but that was too big. Yeah, um, that's right. Like, so, Greg, Greg had a, and it, it like pedaled like a slog, right? Like, it didn't pedal good at all. No, nah, it did, it wasn't or very was good. Was that just off the up. mark? Like, yeah, just off the mark, it was it was pretty poor at like acceleration, and and they had to alter it. So we for like the second year, we we had an electric lockout on the bike, which was pretty crazy to think about it. That people are starting to have lockouts now, but we had like a little battery um, attached to the bike, and then there was like wiring and a timer, um, and on the yeah, on the left-hand side, you had a little switch and then you could lock the suspension for like, I think it was like two to five seconds. Um, oh, really? So it wasn't it, just on and off. It like, it automatically released. Yeah, it automatically released. So you didn't need to worry really? about it. But you, also, you had to sort of work your marks where, where you're going to use it. And I, I remember I would usually like use like the five-second timer and just sort of use it just out of the gate some tracks which would have like the like a flat pedally section i would you know set it up for like whether it's two or three seconds um really? and, and, and 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 use it then but i would i think i used it like because you get like a, when you're at the start you get a 10 second beep and then you get a is it five yeah 10 second beep and then you get a five second beep and on that five yeah, second you beep, you're allowed to go with five, yeah, yeah. And I would usually like flick the switch on like a seven second that it would be locked for two seconds. And then the timer would be set for like, I don't know, two or four, or like, I mean, three or four seconds. So that is a suspension huh. would actually be locked 
for like the first two seconds out of the game. So that it would have a break and like fully lock out for like a practice run or a run. Uh, I had it once, it was at Fort William. Um, (laughs) I think I flicked the accidentally the lockout going onto the motorway like too early, and I had had it locked in the air and and as i landed the shock snapped in it, it should have had like an emergent like a relief like if something like that to happen but it must have been like a, you know a combination a couple of things going wrong and the shock snapped in two and it went straight into the gearbox and it like <laughs> it must have done done like 30 40,000 euros worth of damage because the gearbox was wrote off the shock was wrote off and i think that there was you know some damage on the frame as well so but that's the only time i remember having like a complete you know catastrophe on the shock and that was in practice too but um but that never happened like at a race that it would something would may function and and it would lock uh block itself so what what other things now that it's so many years after it and you can't get fired and hopefully the non-disclosure documents you've signed and Martin won't phone me and say, I can't believe you let the info out. <laughs> so like, give us some other inside scoops. Like it was really crazy at the time to see that bike and the gearbox. I know later on more people were allowed in the tents and then, you know, more information would leak and then freaking people stole the bikes. Like there's still like two Hondas floating around the world. They got stolen yeah. over in Germany, didn't they? Yeah, that's like, what right. What other crazy inside info can you give me? Or just like cool shit. If you look back, you're like, wow, that was ahead of its time. Or I'm glad I was part of, of something like that. Uh, uh, I wasn't on the team at the time, but it was all for a Calgary World Cup. And there was a skate park. And Craig went on to do a backflip on the bike. And he, I think he over-rotated or under-rotated it. And the bike was just went cartwheeling down the tarmac, and he snapped the. Uh, I think he must have, you know, snapped the handlebar off the top, uh, top triple clamp or something like that. And the Japanese just lost it. I wasn't on the team, so I, I can't really like, you know, tell the exact inside of what happened. But from that accident, they went on to completely redesign top triple clamp because it was like dangerous or something like that and you know obviously they never told that they went and took the bike onto skate park and it so they never told the, the engineers that it was at the skate park they just thought it happened no mountain like crash or yeah, <laughs> yes 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 and then there was another another occasion just like it um because the the show of forks had um uh they actually had like carbon stanchions, which was wrapped in like a real thin, like uh, alloy, like wrapped. So it was carbon on the inside, but it looked like it was alloy. And yeah. it had like magnesium dropouts. And I had the bike at home, you know, I just got off from some trip and, you know, unpacked the bike, build it up. I was playing around in the parking lot and went on to do it like a an endo 
and I snapped the fork in two. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, I was meant to do a race. And I'm like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do now? You know, I've just broken the freaking, you know, $20,000 fork. And obviously couldn't get spares anywhere. So they had to like send me a new fork. Uh, but what have happened? I'd forgotten to tighten uh, the, the, the four safety bolts on the axle. So the axle was tight, but it allowed for the, for the caliper to, to move forward. And then it ripped the, the caliper out of the, out of the, out of the stanchion. And, um, Obviously, I never told him what have actually happened. I said I hit a rock or something like that on the dropout and snapped. <laughs> just well, from it. there and on, yeah. Well, from there and on, uh, they went on to uh, not allowing us to use the carbon legs anymore. So we had allow alloy lowers from there and on. <laughs> so, All because you <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> but there was they were men at like try the um, alloy forks because. There was some thought talks that he was going to go into production, mm. and the whole whole all seven season was sort of that we were going to test the production stuff, and and um, so we had alloy forks on the last last season. But I think it was also good that I went on to break the fork because um, they were so flexy, like you like the you know the rotational stiffness on the fork was terrible. Yeah, because it was upside down fork as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was upside down, and you know, fully made out of carbon. Um, so um, yeah, so we had quite a quite a few problems because of the uh, the forks are too too flexy, and then you know it got a lot better um, for the last or oh, like the final year once we got the full full alloy forks, and I I think Greg struggled a bit more than I did because he's a much bigger rider and he rides a lot over the front like he's you know kind of legs um legs straight and then like kind of you know crouching forward and, and surfboard you know strapped onto his back um, <laughs> um and uh but yeah it's uh I'm trying to think what? of something else though what, that would have. I know there's like you can never quantify the amount that went into that program, right? It's it's millions of dollars, but you know with salaries and teams and bikes and R and D. But what was the rumor that like one bike was worth or cost? You know, not like total package, but like what would I you say the bikes worth? I'm pretty sure that you know the the bikes were worth like sixty five thousand a piece yeah. dollars. Yeah, um, dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's crazy. And then, like two of them, so, uh, two of them got stolen. And then, actually, one or two appeared on eBay like years later. But it wasn't the bikes that we had. It was like the the model before. So I've no idea where that bike came from. But the and the there were Japanese bike, riders that were riding it. Yeah, there were there were, uh, yeah, Naoki, and I can't remember yeah. the other guy's name. And then there was. Um, yeah, Naoki definitely, and then Junior Nagata, another Japanese guy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there's quite a few people, quite a few bikes and riders on Hondas in Japan. Um, but like me and Greg uh, were the 
like international riders. And then Brendan got along in 07. Um, so that was, uh, that was good times. Definitely. And uh, speaking of good times, you got the two World Cup wins came, came on Honda. So that must have been pretty special, you know, f- on, on such a prestigious team. Can you, oh, yeah, uh, can we go down me- memory lane of the first one was Brazil, right? That was before Champery, correct? Yeah, that's right. 2006 in Brazil. Yeah. So is it true that you didn't sleep in your own hotel bed the night before the race? That was the only night I slept in my own hotel bed. It was the night before okay. the race. So is it true that no other nights were you in your own hotel room and you were sneaking out and sneaking back for breakfast in the morning? That's correct. That's correct. Right. <laughs> you think I wasn't going to bring some of this stuff up? Um, I, I kind of had thought that maybe you're going to bring it up, but yeah, there you have it. Yeah, it's true. Um, That's great. Yeah, it was, it was great memories. You know, it was just so, so, lovely Brazi- Brazilian girls. That I, yeah? Yeah, just this lovely Brazilian girl that I uh, that I met the year before and then, you know, was on holiday for a week and then won the World Cup as well. And then capped it off cherry on top, win the World Cup on Sunday. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Man, that was so cool. What a venue, eh? Like, yeah. What, I mean, we're literally on holiday for a week, and then there was a bike race on the Sunday. And you, yeah. and you happened to win, win in 2006. What, I mean, did you even, like, did you even dream, <laughs> dream of, of going to Brazil and meeting a Brazilian? I mean, winning a race? Um, well, obviously, that wasn't the the initial plan but then you know it just happened and uh you were there as well <laughs> were you putting me in the spot um because at first year everybody went it was like uh you know it was on the beach and we'd never been on the beach before um and it was the track probably wasn't as as um you know as good as everything else you know beach and holiday and all this all the girls and 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 parties and stuff that was pretty good but um track was pretty average i think it was small hill and but what a place to have a race like you you remember like yeah i mean i wish finishing right by the beach yeah um finishing right by the beach and and everyone was just you know in like we are so used to like being up on the mountains and and you know in the cold weather and uh, and you know in like a little mountain villages and all of a sudden you know you could be having lunch on the beach and then you know off the practice as well so it was hard to definitely hard to stay focused and and and, and focus on the race um, and I think a couple of riders. Uh, from down under went on for like a big bender the whole week and then you know <laughs> nearly got fired and and uh at least that's what the story tells and didn't do that great so you know it could go both ways i suppose so no man not yeah, to mention I, any I, names. I think the you know maybe for your first win and and not thinking that 
you would win that race or you know you you're just kind of more relaxed it's often often really helps athletes though in in that most ironic way sometimes being too focused and and too serious also goes the wrong way you know yeah that's right like it if um yeah you you're able to like put your put the nerves away and sort of almost not give a fuck about the race you'd mm. sometimes be able to do better like um because sometimes the nerves like at, le- at least for me like the nerves really like get under my skin and there was you know whether it was like a, a certain section on the track or or something um it, it could really like kind of ruin my whole weekend and i wasn't able to sort of get over it and i'd be like struggling and then it sort of lost like a bigger image like you know i just got to get through this one bit maybe lose a bit more time in that and then um not take not let that like ruin my entire weekend so um i think that there's been like a couple races like that that i've done really well where i've been able to find like a good balance between the nerves and being focused i think that was maybe a, you know bit on the extreme of being relaxed um because i think i, I <laughs> well, would have gotten it worked but i'm pretty sure on the on a you know if if i had not to win the race i probably would have gotten fired <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> so risky business <laughs> winning races winning races down in brazil yeah, so Brazil was, I mean, yeah, one of the funnest races, I think, for everyone. I mean, I remember one year having to wake up my mechanic in the morning because they'd had an all-nighter. And I was like, where's the bike? Like, we got to go. And and credit due, I mean, we were all pretty relaxed. And he pulled off a great day. Um, he only yeah. fell asleep, like, once while we were having a break. But he, he was fine, but he was tired tired that evening. So, yeah, Brazil was awesome. But you mentioned the focus and the nerves. And it just makes me think of, you know, when you, so you won that race, did it give you more self-belief and confidence and, and help a little bit with the nerves, like after that? What was it like after that, after the win, getting your first win, you know, at, at a World Cup level? Um, yeah, it definitely helped. Like I, um, you know, it was a long time coming. Like I, I'd never been, that was my first podium actually. And I remember I was like really like edging on the podium and I think I must have had like three or four consecutive sevens places that I was just, you know, a couple hundreds or tenths off the podium. And I just, I just couldn't quite get it. And it was really like getting under my skin and, you know, and I think it, kind of got to a point that I really started riding like, over my head and uh, uh, I had a big crash in Schladming in 2005 and wrecked my shoulder which I actually mentioned when I was talking about the army stuff that I had to get my shoulder reconstructed and um, if you look at the results from that race and you find the split time, I was actually up on Sam Hill by like eight seconds. And he won the race. 
back in Schladming. Yeah, Schladming all five. Mm. Um, and then after I did my shoulder, there was, you know, almost a year went by that I was, I finished the season with like a half half shoulder. Um, I think I got sixth in fall, really, and my second and eighth. And, you know, I was right up there, but I just couldn't, you know, I was just missing that little bit. And then in, in Brazil, it all just clicked. And then it it definitely gave me a confidence. And, it, I, and I kind of learned, like, how fast I need to go. And then I, um, I finished second. No, I didn't finish second at all. I finished. I can't remember where I finished overall but that year, but I had another podium at the end of the year and it all sort of, it's one of those things when you can see a rider really gets on a roll, things are starting to come easy, if you know what I mean? Mm. Like you, yeah. you just do everything so like subconsciously, you don't need to even mm. think about what you're doing. It just, you just ride and, and you know the time and you know you're riding so well like how fast you're going to go that um you just you don't need to force it at all it just sort of happens and you know there, there's been a case like numerous occasions like that when you can really see like the rider is really confident and riding is effortless and he's just on a roll and you know and does good results one after the other and you know, you kind of got to that flow state, which is, um, you know, people often talk about. And yeah, it definitely gave me like the confidence that, yeah, I can do it. Like I can be right up there with the big boys. And and, and pretty much like um, until, up until that point, I never sort of, I always dreamed of winning a World Cup, but I never sort of, I don't think I had the belief that I could actually do it and put it together. Yeah. Until I, until I did it and after that I was like okay I've I've won a race maybe I can you know win another one at some point or you know get be con consistent on the podium and 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 do well and um um but yeah that's uh and then I think the ball kind of started rolling from there and definitely gave me a massive confidence boost yeah, I mean, I remember in the next year you were like a staple on the podium, really. If I'm, I went through the results just to check the years, but I mean, I do remember where I was like, "Fuck, Maddie's stepped it up here," you know, like you, you're you're on the podium or cl or close to it, and then you got second overall that following year, correct, in the World Cup series with that with that famous win in Champry, where obviously Sam did the crazy wet run, and you and Martin and the team which is also an awesome story is to play the rain game because back then in downhill for the listeners, there was no qualifying points. So if you wanted to and you thought... I'm pretty sure there was. Coming, what? Was I'm there points? I'm okay, pretty, so you yeah, there was qualifying points. points. Yeah. But you, you, you guys decided one team member is going to sacrifice the points and you pulled over in the qualifying run, seeding run? Yeah, that's right. Like we kind of did the math that okay like if you're 10 because I, I was so confident in my riding and i knew like if i stop i would be somewhere in mid pack and you'd you know you lose 10 seconds 
somewhere in the 40s and uh like if i you know if i had to make a mistake or if i had to crash or had a flat tire or anything like that you know i would have been out of the final so it was risky but like surely was... you stopped near the end though no i stopped like halfway what there's like no you didn't 100 yes there's halfway like... you pull over surely you do it near the end yeah, but there was like a real, like a janky left-hand corner, which actually, I remember like Danny Hart on his World Champs winning run did like this middle line where everybody else was struggling, went off like the wooden like build up. Um, there wasn't like a, uh, you could go there and try, but like nobody else did it in the West except Danny. There was like this real tight, like right, and then he went down quite a bit and super sharp left. And it was like easy place to stop where you nearly came to a dead stop anyway. And then it was like easy to get back up to speed. So I was like, okay, I'll stop there. And I count to 10 and then I carry on. And, but it, it's also like, I was confident, like, oh, I can do it. I wasn't stressing about it at all. Cause I knew like, I will stay on my bike. This is how fast I am riding this is where it's approximately going to put me if I lose mm. 10 seconds and that allows me to, to start in, you know, uh, the starting order. Um, so yeah, speak of confidence. Like it could, it could have gone both ways really. Like if something to happen further on, like I knew, like I'd have to really ride from there and on down like a hundred percent. And, um, so yeah, I qualified like pretty much mid pack. As I was at the gate, it started like drizzling down, and I think Petey and Fabian and and Mick Hanna and 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 a couple of guys have gone uh, had like a bad quality and crashed and started like before me. So there were some fast guys. I think Petey. No, you still Petey beat like second. a host of fast guys, really did, yeah. Yeah, like Petey was second, and Fabian might have been third. Um. So yeah, it was, um, as I was on the gate, it, it, you know, there was a few raindrops and then once I got to the bottom, maybe like one, two riders after me, the skies really opened up, but it was, it was sort of predictable because a similar thing had happened every day for like the past four days. And it was in the forecast that it, it might rain in the afternoon. And so it's, it's kind of surprising that nobody else thought about that because the World Cup schedule is more or less the same every time. You know, like you're going to be racing uh, in the afternoon, like, you know, where the sun's going to be. Is it going to be patchy or, you know, you'd always like think about like what, what the weather is going to be in the afternoon when it's actual race time. Like in Brazil, when I won, it was nearly pitch black. It was real dark because it's getting in the evening. Like if you remember that, like, so yeah. you'd have to like think about like, oh yeah, in practice you could use like tinted lenses, but you know, the sun sets real quick. You know, you, you may as well raise some clear lenses or like some other colored lenses rather than tinted in the afternoon because it will be dark. So, but anyway, like, so yeah, ended up, you know, ended up winning that race and, it was, you know, kind of, I was kind of surprised. Um, I still had a good time. Like, I think 
Sam, Sam had the fastest time in quality. Like his quality time was still faster than my race winning time. But Sam might have won the qualies by like nearly 10 seconds. Pascal was second. But yeah, I still had like a quite a bit. Level at that time. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then like my still my time was still like faster than Pascal's quality time. So it was like, yeah, not just like some random run. So it was a, it was a good run. And Petey, Petey had a good run and he was off by like point something. Less than a second, definitely. I think about point two or point three. So it's still yeah. quite tight racing. And, um, what about watching Sam's run? Like thinking back to that now, you're in the hot seat thinking, well, I've got this. And I mean, you did, uh, but like at uh, the stage, I, <clears throat> he fucking, didn't he fall off? He was like going insanely quick in the rain and then he still fell off and then still did a good time. Yeah, he had a, he had a huge crash. Like on his back, like in the same Just... same corner where Bryceland, uh, 2011, where Bryceland like lost his bike. He, you know, he got up, yeah, and then he was like looking at his bike when you know just went into the bush somewhere and he's like couldn't even find it. So Sam crashed in that exact same corner, and like I remember watching and I was just being amazed, and I think at least in. in like how I thought I was like I was a fan of Sam just watching him riding down like this is freaking amazing like I was still like you know whatever happens I was happy because I knew like I was going to be second like no no worse than second and I'm like if yeah. I have to win this thing you know it's a it's a freaking bonus but like Sam coming down that I was you know it was amazing and and that year Sam really you know put the sport on another level like totally like 07 08 like but that was the beginning of it like in 06 we started seeing like the the greatness of sam but um no was it hang on a minute 07 oh sorry 05 he was really an 06 he won the world so yeah but it was just that those those three years that he was really on the roll and and in my opinion, changed the sport. Because everybody, I mean, he was, everybody had there to. There are a few runs and a few people that, that can do that. And, and he's definitely one of them, huh? Like we were yeah, all like, playing catch up. He just forced us oh, to just get better <clears throat> real quick. Yeah, yeah. Like he really, like, he really upped the game. No doubt about it. And it's just like, he's like, like he's, how creative he's finding lines and, and just his confidence and bike skills and 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 just ability to go fast is just on another level. Like I don't think there's another another rider that can corner as good as Sam can on on any like any sort of corner, whether it's you know just and amazing, his, just amazing. His the world. calmness and self belief when he was riding at that level, and I think even now he's just so much self belief and and just goes about his business but then yeah. in saying that greg menard he, is still winning so to put it into perspective like how how is it watching greg now knowing like you were teammates with him and you kind of know what makes him tick you know what makes him good and we've had these other riders that have progressed the sport sam before that volios pd had a run 
Craig had his own run, and then Gwyn had a run, and then, but Craig's just managed to survive all these guys and use them to sort of motivate himself and keep adapting and, and learning the sport, and he's still just consistently there if he's motivated and the body's healthy. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see how Greg is still like up there, and he's been able to like adapt to the the new bikes and the you know different riders and the, the the pace is definitely higher and how he's able to like overcome all these things and he's still like right up there like it's kind of against all the odds but he's he's you know one of those riders in a million that can can do it like every sport seems to have that one goal and he's uh he's earned it like it's pretty like he's been up there for two decades like a lot of riders have had their run and it's been a couple of seasons like and and then you know they've made maybe have had an injury and they've struggled to come back ever since like just like myself like or you know uh, quite a few people have had like some small niggly injuries and then they've never really been able to turn around after that but greg's greg's had those niggly injuries and he's you know he's had bigs off big offs and upsets and i'm sure he's he's been in in doubt like am i ever gonna am i ever gonna win a world cup like and you know should i continue or but he's been able to turn turn it all around and he's, he's still up there so it's yeah, uh i think that's definitely pretty amazing impresses, yeah like i think adapting with the bikes and if you get paid what greg gets paid I probably would have more motivation, but that mental aspect you that mentioned helped. about overcoming those small niggles and then there's a big crash and you start thinking, you know, do I want to get hurt again? And do I have the speed? And then you have a good, you know, it is you have like a decent run and you get smoked. Like it throws so much self doubt, like, Oh, have I lost my speed, you know, and he's just able to do his process. But you mentioned, you know, getting hurt and, and I, I think it's not fair to, to speak about your career without the credit that I think you do for some of the, you had some really big injuries and, and life threatening one and career ending ones. And, and you managed to grit your teeth and, and come back, but, but talk a little bit about how mentally draining that was and obviously physical, but you, you managed to bounce back and you took some time off from down on you. You had horrific crashes that, that many people would not, maybe ride a bike again and you came back to EWS like if you can maybe speak about some of the struggles and and educate people on, on how you dealt with some of that yeah it was I've definitely had some it, it all kind of I, I spoke earlier like how my career kind of uh, I was on the roll and started doing good and I was you know confident and things were really like clicking my way I just finished second overall and then like four days later, I break my back. And that kind of put me, you know, I, I looking back at it now, breaking my back was easy compared to some of the other injuries that I had later, later, later that was, you know, coming. And, uh, <clears throat> but it was, um, I've lost them. What was the question again? I got, uh, I no, started you, thinking you, about you, it and the, about the crashes and probably how traumatic it was, but you you mentioned like being on the highest of highs, second in the world, and then you break your back. But 
it was almost easy compared to some of the other crashes you had. And, and uh, I was oh, asking, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, as a friend, I, yeah. I saw you bounce back, but I could never understand the mental struggles and, and the drive it took to, to overcome, say, the demons after some of these, these crashes and, and, and how you get down when you're injured and you can't ride your bike. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely some hard times. And I, you know, you, you, you're a bit wiser when you're older and, and I wish there was somebody like in my corner back then that would have maybe given the advice to get ready, like hundred percent and not a 95% or, or said to me, like, really like, like grabbed me by my shoulders and told me like, look, dude, it took you like seven years to get to that point. You're not going to get back there in seven months, let alone six mm -hmm. months. Cause you know, I had to, you know, heal up, do rehab, all this, that, and, and, you know, work on my fitness and, you know, then straight to racing. But then like you're, you get this contract and you're in the middle of it and there's like physically there's nothing wrong on you you're, you're on the outside you look fine you're riding your bike and you spend the winter in california and, and you're fully healed but i definitely i don't think i was but i i never admitted it to to myself nor did i um accept the fact that i was going to be off the pace maybe coming into racing like you know take your time fully heal up and not be too eager, not be too hard on yourself, but, you know, just take time, you know, and, 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 and get ready, you know, and, you know, I come to the first world cut and I just finished second overall. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be like setting up. And I, I've said it in some interview. I'm like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be setting my, setting my goals, you know, backwards. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start off right where I left off last year. And, it, I, I think I might have forgotten that I broke my back just like five months ago. And I think that was a huge mistake. And I was, I was able to write that pace that I had at the end of the year before I did my, like had my big injury, but I wasn't fully fit to maintain the pace for three plus minutes. So, and I maybe I wasn't, I definitely wasn't like in my head mentally fully healed from it like it takes so much to ride bike at the level is that is needed to to be on a world cup podium that you you can't have like the smallest of self-doubts and um i i reckon that was like a huge mistake that i did and i should have been a bit bit easier on myself like i i just saw on the stevie smith uh, documentary there's a photo of us standing on the podium at us open and i think i was you were fifth i was fourth then there was brun sam and stevie just one and i look so disappointed and that was like my first like podium of the year and i was like i wasn't upset like i was so pissed off that i did so bad i'm like i was looking fourth i think i i think i really believed that i was going to win that race or like at, at least i would have i probably would have been happy like i wasn't happy with that and, and i'm not even cheering i freaking got my hands down and i'm like what am i doing like that's great 
if I to be smart enough to look back seven months and see where I was then and then I got like eighth or ninth at Andorra World Cup and I was like so pissed off because I was like oh I want to be on the podium that's all I you know cared about and that kind of really put me in a bad bad path of of I, I think it paid like the bad path of getting injured and just riding over my head and and wrecking myself. Is but that, that was, was, it was that, like it, not being aware that you need to take time and you sometimes just were forcing it? Now um, looking back, I mean, hindsight's an easy thing to, to speak about. Yeah, I was definitely forcing it myself like, and I was putting the pressure on myself. I wasn't accepting the fact that 10 is going to be good once I've tasted the victory. Mm, so tough, isn't it? Just like the expectations get raised. And, and yeah. the contracts are there and the money's better. Was that a part of it? Like crashing? Uh, and then, you know, in our sport, I mean, you're lucky if you get a two-year contract, right? And that was, was that after Honda, right? Are we speaking about the right timeline? After you went from Honda yeah, to Hon MS? In, yeah, to Intense, yeah. yeah and you got right. a good contract there. And I think it's fair to talk about that. You said the sport was in a lull. And... I think it's fair to speak about the salaries now. It was no one's wrongdoing. There just wasn't much money in the sport. But you won a World Cup on like 10,000 euros or something stupid? Dollars. So it was equivalent Dollars. to like, yeah, it was equivalent to like seven grand euro. So it was and like it's fucking pocket to, change. Yeah, and, you, and you, you, know, you end up blowing a little bit of it in between the races and shit. So it's like nothing really. But Rennie did the similar thing. The sport was in this weird downturn. There weren't enough teams looking, and he won the World Cup series probably on like the same or less. It it just goes like that sometimes, you know. And then you get this big contract, and you probably don't want to lose it, so you're forcing yourself to get back up to speed. You know, it's like the teams are they're patient, but they're not that patient. No, like you're not gonna, you know, have or rarely you're gonna have a, you know, uh, a three one year contract with getting no results so you pre i was on the two-year contract so i literally had like zero pressure about so i should have just taken it like sort of easy but i was just so, it was so all internal pressure you uh, yeah just yeah just pressure on myself and i was just so like ego-centered and just you know just selfish and just all that what you know just what athletes can be when they really put their head in the bad like it's a bad spot but i um yeah that's that's one thing that really paid the way for you know for some bad things to happen and it kind of went on ironic? like that isn't it ironic that the ego and 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 that self-belief can kind of get, get you to the top get you to winning the world cup and then it's almost like that same cockiness self-belief that you need a portion of it like you need to manage this thing right and 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 i did the same sort of shit and it takes age to realize what's happening and it takes this hindsight but it's almost that same ego that like pulls you back down and then you don't listen and then it pulls you down again it's like it's super but i i also believe in luck maddie i i will not uh, speak against that it's now you and, and like you saying yeah I probably caused a bit of it I mean there is also luck certain crashes 
we've had huge crashes and not got hurt, right? That happens as well in the sport. Oh yeah, like there's there's been some like tiny crashes with like some huge consequences, like tiny, but like, and then there's been you know some big crashes where you just walk off and just you know so oh that was a big one and then just carry on riding. So it it can go both ways, and I think some of the crashes have definitely been unlucky, but I definitely put myself into the situation uh occasionally by maybe riding over my head for the uh for the fitness that i had at the time i had the ability and and the like knowledge how to ride fast like now if i go riding and i'm like i'm absolutely i suck like i go fast but i know what it really feels to go fast and i wish that i could I can I can do like a corner of two at the pace that I used to be able to do like three minutes, and it it's the best feeling ever. But um, but yeah, definitely, you know, put myself into some of those situations, and and um, yeah, with a, like a perfect storm, there was you know one thing led to another, and then the consequences were huge, and I paid a big price for it. And um, do you think that you weren't actually, in, in some of the later ones, say mentally healthy again? You know, like your body starts healing and you start riding, but there's a lot of trauma that you maybe hadn't dealt with. And I think you've mentioned in interviews that you, you suffered some depression. And, and maybe um, it was all overwhelming, really, at a certain point. I think... Uh... I never admitted that I was I, I was depressed at like oh eight nine ten eleven none of those years I and I I thought looking back I'm like oh yeah maybe I could have dealt with a psychologist and gone to talk to someone like you know I might have been in like once year after year after year of the you know getting like a small niggly injuries and some big ones. It really starts wearing you down and being injured and being on the couch it's tough you know you can't ride your bike which is sort of ultimately that gives you the joy uh, and and it's your job like you can't do your job because you've got a broken collarbone and stuff like that which uh which really like upsets you but then you you, you get healthy and then some time goes by and you get another little injury and then it just, which takes like four, you know, four to eight weeks to heal. No big deal. But it, it after like having consecutive injuries for years, it really starts to wear you down. And, you know, it broke like a hip socket and the shoulders and did both of my wrists and um, broke my back. And so some bad injuries, like definitely like broken uh, when I broke my both wrist at the same time, that was tough. That was really because I couldn't do, Mentally. let alone that I couldn't, yeah, let alone that I couldn't ride my bike, but I couldn't do anything else because I, things like you take for granted. I I couldn't get out of the house. I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't open the refrigerator or like, I, you know, remember I was staying at my mom's house because I was just useless. I couldn't do anything. And my mom would make me some pre made food. 
that I could heat up in the microwave. Well, the microwave happened to be above our refrigerator. So like with the two casts on, I couldn't get the food into the microwave because I couldn't like pick up a plate. And I'm like, oh, or like, you know, a couple of times I locked myself out of the house because I couldn't get the keys out of my pocket. So I had to go to the neighbor. I was like, oh, can you get the key out of my house? Because I, oh, out of my pocket because I can't get in. And, and yeah, that, that was really tough. Like it freaking sucked. And it, it sounds like such a humbling experience and, and, and two things I would assume it makes you appreciate the small things in life. Like it's quite the price to pay for the high life of, of racing a bike down the hill, but there's this, this kind of hidden thing of injury and, and, and trauma and, and mental health that kind of you're not allowed to talk about at the time. You mentioned I didn't really talk about it. I could have gone to someone, but you, aren't you kind of taught or feel that you need to like be this man, this macho guy? That oh, totally. Like, you can't talk about your weaknesses. No, right? you, not you didn't at all. share that with me because I was still a competitor. So, even though we're friends, you maybe don't nah, feel like, comfortable to speak to many people, like show weakness. Because then I was like, yeah, oh, well, um, Maddie will be easy to beat this week. You know, like, it's quite a weird thing in our, well, in all sports. Yeah, it's good that you brought it up. Like, even though we were always a good friend that, uh, at, like, at the races and out, out of the races, but I don't think I would ever talk about like a weakness to you or like let, let's not talk about injuries, but talk about like on the course, if there was something that you'd feel really like uncomfortable and not like, you know, not happy to do some section or do like a jump mm. or rock garden or anything. There's like a very few people that you, you, you'd say that, and yes. I don't, I, th I I'm, I'm sure I spoke to you about those things, but I don't think I would do it every single time. You know, you, you have to be, you can't show weaknesses or at least I wouldn't. But um, there was, wasn't, it wasn't it like a dance. It would be like, Hey, that turned shit. And then if the other riders like, yeah, it's shit, I hate it. You're like, Oh, so you're also struggling with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with it, but it wasn't often where we would, where, so, so for an example, I'm a little bit intimidated by this jump right now. That's kind of different, like showing weakness of I'm scared or, you know, I'm struggling mentally to overcome this obstacle. You, It's nice yeah, to hear, like, you know, if we were close and then friends, you'd we would like, help oh, each other with, that. like, yeah, and then you play that game. But I think with us, we were close enough to be real. There wasn't, I mean, there's a shitload of mind games out there. Definitely, yeah. even with teammates and stuff. I've been there, you've. You've probably probably been there, but uh, oh, definitely, I've been teammates with Greg. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's coming up in sport a lot. Is more people? There's this um, famous tennis player that was, you know, they're talking about the mental struggles, or a golfer that says, "I'm taking some time off," and it's it's nice that people are speaking about it more because it's a new thing to speak about, and I think it's only good that these people that everyone aspired to and even you uh, uh, people look up to you and have looked up to you and maybe from this can realize fuck i also go through the same sort of feelings and and just because someone's at the top of the world doesn't mean they're not nervous doesn't mean they're not scared of a jump doesn't mean they feel sick to their stomach with the pressure of, of having to get in the start gate you know yeah like it, it 
I'm sure a lot of the athletes go through like a similar feelings and emotions, even regardless of the sport. And you know, you have like the ups and downs, and and but uh, yeah, you still wouldn't want to like show the weakness to your opponent that you're going to be beating or like competing against the next week. Um, and uh, yeah, ment- mental struggles have been lately like a topic that a lot of people have brought up, and I've I've been quite open about it, like after my career, and also because I understood it better. At the time, I I didn't understand it quite the way I understand it now, and uh, like some of the small niggly injuries, yeah, you they put me down, but it was it was nothing what was what was to come, and I I experienced that later, sort of at the very end of my career. So it didn't it kind of definitely didn't end in a good note. I wish that it would have you know been a bit different and and ended ended. On, on like my turn. Is that one of the toughest things you've dealt with? Is is it not ending on your terms and maybe being forced out and, and it all being so much you needed to take a break or maybe later on realizing that the only option is a break or to walk away? Like my final year of racing, I was so over it that I didn't even want to race. It wasn't like I, I, just, I just didn't want to be there. I hated being at the races. I hated the nervousness, you know, the the force feeding yourself in the morning and like the the track works and it just made me like sick almost. It was because uh, I I tried to sort of make a, another comeback after like my huge crash where I where I broke my face and first World Cup of the year was. Um, this soul and that track is scary enough to ride when you're not having any you know self-doubts and Cedric happened to have that huge crash where he broke his hip I believe like he lost his rear brake going into the first rock garden yes and, yeah yeah and just absolutely absolutely destroyed himself and I remember like I was crying and I, like, I just didn't want to write. I didn't want to be there because I was just like shocked. And I, I was struggling with like post-traumatic stress disorder from my previous crash. And then I was like dumb enough to take myself to to race. And I, I that's all I could think of because people were like, oh, is, you know, is he going to make it? Is Cedric, you know, he's had a huge crash and, you know, he, he's bad. And then I was there like, oh, great. Like, you know, I'm trying to trying to race my bike. And all I could think of was Cedric. Like, is he going to be okay? And yeah, it was, it was, it was terrifying. And the whole year was, yeah, it was, it was tough. I don't even remember whole, like whole lot of, uh, of the whole season, like how my results, I didn't even care. I just, I was there. I, I I did like the bare minimum that I had to, and and yeah, kind of leading up to that year was in I had the big crash at a, oh 2011, and I was still like I just got out of the hospital. I was in ICU for two weeks, 
or like I was in ICU for I think eight days or nine days and then in hospital in total for like over two weeks and then I just got home and then you know it was a contract year and I'd, I'd had a pretty good season and and uh, Pagey rang me Nigel Page the CRC team manager and he was like look you know I, I know you're in you know in a in a bad spot but and I, I don't know what you want to do, but we kind of have to talk about this. You know, it's a contract here. And like, you know, if we fully su- want to support you, like, what do you want to do? And, and I was like, oh, I want to race. And when I was in the hospital bed, I'm like, fuck this. I'm never going to be riding again. Like, I'm done. But then I, I just didn't have the balls to call it quits then. And I kind of didn't want to end uh, my career to that. And um, I was like, yeah, I want to race. And as soon as I put the phone down and then like Paige is like, yeah, we can offer you like a one year, one year deal. And then there was like a small pay cut, but pretty decent bonus. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And as soon as I hang up the phone, I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, this is not, I don't want to do this. Oh, like, I don't want to race. Right then and there after the phone. Yeah, like right there and then. You couldn't even force and, yourself to start wanting to do it. And then uh, the other good thing, I believe that was great that I did make the call to go racing was it gave me a goal to, to get better. But there's always a flip side. And I think, because I, I should have been dead, but I made the call to like, okay, look, I'll, I'll, I'll race. And it gave me a goal and they, the motivation to do rehab and get better and once again build up from scratch. And um, it, it, it was good and it was bad. But I don't think I would have ever made as good of a recovery as I did if if I'd call it quits then. Well, Maddie, geez, you, I haven't been able to speak to you about these things in such in depth. So I, I thank you for opening up and, and sharing it with me. And, and I think so many people are going to get so much value from this and, and understanding how real and the dangers of the sport, but as well as the mental challenges that come with it. And fuck, there's so much to take away from that. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in awe. Yeah, like it's, things can like quite easily and quickly go wrong. Like, and nowadays with the speeds, what they are, like if you don't see many people having small crashes, like this small little, you know, tip offs or tip overs. Usually they massive crashes nowadays. And, yeah, I noticed that they, at Maribor this year. I was like, this is there's a lot of crashes in like first day practice as well. Yeah, people a lot of people I think yeah, that was another race that I paid attention. A lot of people got injured there. Because it was like as soon as you get off the line you hit a tree and that's that's what happened to me. Like I, I, I went offline and and I hit a tree head first and I I I broke my jaws real bad, like my it's called Leopard Three, the the grade of of the facial injury. So like my, you know, it was quite graphic and had to 
had to have like a big facial reconstruction and um, get my nose and eye socket and jaws and you know it was a, it was a big job um, but they uh, they got it sorted out pretty good. And and what is that like now? Like talking about it and and is it at the point that you can kind of take anything on in life? Has it got you to that point? Like you've been through hell and back. You've had the highest of highs, lowest of lows, and I mean I don't know. I mean I'm asking. It seems like it could help with that. Like. Mm. I think it gave me like another opportunity and I look at things a lot positive, a lot more positive now. I maybe used to be like a person that got really drawn into like negativity and, and I definitely don't take everything for granted anymore. Like life is so fragile and it can be easy, like over so quickly, like if, if things go wrong and, uh, it definitely, it was a humbling experience and, um, and I, 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 I don't wish that upon to anyone because it was something that you don't want to go through. But it's um, it really makes you appreciate what's important in life. Is that and and you are, you're a father now? Is that helping you with your daughter and and when you spend time with her? Uh yeah, like I'm trying to like. not get drawn into like being, you know, be like protective and but at the same time allowing her to do, uh, you know, a lot of things and, 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 and guidance her in like, I can see like what the dangers are, but then still like trying to, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but still um, let her make mistakes but at the same time understand like what what is like too dangerous to try and what not and and uh uh yeah just yeah, i don't know like freaking how to explain this thing but you put me in the spot I, now i'm very i mean i've always been impressed with your your ability with the english language coming from finland and uh what about like what bikes mean to you now and we shared some texts you built up a retro intense bike and you had the kit like what is like what sort of part i know you did ews racing and we could talk about results and sports and but like what is biking like for you now and you built up that retro intense like you still get fulfilled from going out for a ride uh yeah i do don't really have that much time to ride um like i used to but every, whenever i get a ride a chance to write i actually i try to enjoy it and like i said earlier not take it for granted and it, it's most of the time it's it's great when i when i get a chance and time to to ride and you mentioned earlier that i was a bit of a bike geek yes you're you know you hit you hit the spot there because i i am a massive bike nerd um and that was sort of like a, a dream bike that i always wanted to have when I was a kid and when COVID started I I found one on like uh, on eBay or like a, the intense M1 frame on eBay and then you know started uh like searching for all parts and I think that was part of the 
the fun part of it was just to find the parts which was which were still like salvageable and usable and it, it turned out to be pretty cool like it's pretty much like 100 almost 100 percent to like uh the all the parts were from like that that period of time um, and used old parts and and i i raced on that at a national champs <laughs> in like not a beginner's class but like an open class where you can where you can sign up without license and it was pretty funny to to write that thing and understand what bikes actually were at the time um because that wasn't the greatest the most stable or like stable in normal like it was it was pretty pretty horrific to ride to be honest like it was so small <laughs> unstable it had a lot of travel but the, the suspension was sort of unusable sort of just real wallowy and would just like blow through the travel and it really made me think like if this was the benchmark what were the other bikes like oh and, yeah that, that thing was ahead of its time at the time wasn't it so imagine yeah. riding the other and, things yeah and like if you look at any photos from people riding especially like the m1 or, or any other old school bike they always have their leg out just doing like massive dog pisses at every corner but that's how you have to ride it because as soon as you're trying to ride it with your feet on the pedal the thing would just go sideways in like in no time because the back end was short and you just like had zero traction at the back oh, like really? it was That's hilarious it, yeah it was quite eye-opening to see and because you look at some old footage and you wonder like why on earth are they like putting their foot down on every corner but like if you didn't you would be on the deck like in just a split second because it would it, it would like from the point it started drifting to the point where it just there was nothing it was like it was so sad like you couldn't predict well you could predict that the bike the back end is going to go but it was like you know you had to put your foot down almost for like security that you could like lean on when when the when the back end starts drifting and it goes and that's something what i also miss if i look at racing nowadays and i i was watching the world cup finals this year and the commentary like warner goes on the commentary like oh he makes a big mistake and i'm like he freaking drifted his back wheel for like a tiny bit and that's considered a mistake nowadays like Yes, because you you know you go sideways just a, just a bit, wee bit, and yeah. and you lose that point one, which is equivalent of five places. So like the the bikes are like longer and and so stable that you really you just got to ride them differently. Like I was trying to ride the old school bike, like I'm I'm used to just you know both feet on pegs and it, you couldn't. It was like it was scary because you knew like you're gonna have like, yeah you're gonna have a huge crash <laughs> at some point. And yeah, the that, sport has the, the sport. 
yeah, it has, and it's gone the direction that you don't see like often that someone makes a mistake and then you know kind of come back, come comes back from that to to get a good result. Times are like super tight. Everyone's like so professional, and there's just no room for error, and it's it's a whole different it's a whole different sport. So, Maddie, do you think riding the intense is kind of like taking you back to your roots, almost full circle of how the bikes were back in the day and the suspension didn't work and there was oil everywhere and you're like relearning to ride and, and, and that sort of vibe? Yeah, it did. It definitely, it was like a time machine going back and there were so many things that I'd forgotten about and taken for granted. You're like, you're at the pit in this case, you know, at the, at the bottom of the track uh, and, and the track was pretty basic I guess most of the tracks were pretty basic at the time but like a one and a bit minute track and after every single run I had to fiddle with something you know the <laughs> really like the, the brakes were rubbing and they you know I, I had flat tires because I got like some really old Michelin ones um like some comp old comp 16s and the casing on the tire was you know they must have been on like a stack of tires for like 15 years so the tires went straight so they were just like wobbly ass and like most people most bikes had quick release back axle but i had the first generation mavic d-max with like a like, like a tied on rear axle and the axle kept coming loose. And it was just like, oh, I remember this. So the axle kept coming loose on the brake side. Like every run you had to dub double check that the axle was tight. And like your like the noise that the thing would make, that your mech would keep hitting. Remember how people used to put like a piece of rubber or like a plastic bit? On their mech that he wouldn't hit the chain stay yeah 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 this and i'm like jesus i forgot about it it was so noisy even though i had like all the padding on the back end and stuff but it was you know the mech would be like slamming at the chain stay making horrific noise and every time you come out of the corner and start to pedal your gears were off because the chain would like fall down on the cassette and and there, there was this, and your headset would kept, kept uh, my headset kept coming loose, even though I had the Chris King, Chris King headset, which was meant to be like the, the, the best of the best, and so many things that I was like, oh yeah, this is what we had to do all the time. Oh yeah, your brakes had to be, you know, bled, or there was some other problem, or, you know, your, the, the forks were leaking, or this, you know, the. And the creaking, like the bike would just start creaking like no other. And like the linkage balls were coming loose. And, and it was just, it, I think it was just a struggle at the time. Like the mechanics must have had so much work to do at the time. And, and I think mountain bike in general is coming like a, a general public thing to do. If you know what I mean? Like it, it just, it's getting more accessible yeah. to a lot of people where at the time, like 
mountain biking and especially downhill bikes weren't accessible to to general public because they were well like the formula one of the sport but they were pretty crap and like no like normal person couldn't handle it you know you'd have to be like a, a professional grade mechanic to be able to keep one of those things up and running and and maintained like nowadays bikes still need a lot of maintenance to keep them running nice and smooth but Jesus, it must have been a whole nother game back then. No, it, it absolutely was, it was. And you've, you've come full circle with the retro bike build, and I think the podcast has come full circle because we've smashed through two hours. So yeah, well. thanks so much for your time. And Maddie. I've said it before, reason to start the podcast or a byproduct is to catch up with old friends. And this was awesome. And I think it'll have to be one of many. So, and thanks for being so open for sharing what is was tough times for you and and still we all go through tough times and it's awesome for you to share like raw experiences and and hopefully the listeners will send you a message uh send them a message on 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 instagram send me a message see what you, tell us what you got out of it so maddie tell us where they can find you i know you're not that active on it and and you're taking you know a break from riding and 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 you know doing more normal things but you're on on instagram still yeah, I'm still on Instagram. I don't update a whole lot, but um, I can still be found. Maybe you can add the link in prescription, like Matti Lehikoinen uh, is my Instagram name. Um, but I'm, I've am i been thinking about maybe getting a bit more active, just being you know, more productive and being real, just bringing up like what I actually do. Because a, a lot of times social media nowadays is what people do, but it not very authentic yeah well uh what about you maybe come back and we do a bit of bench racing when the season starts and you can be real about what you think about racing because you got no one really to please 100 percent i'm you know i'll uh, i'm definitely if you uh want to have me as a guest i'll i'll um, i'm more than happy to do that because i'm end of the day i'm still a man, massive mountain bike geek so it'd be cool to to do one of those this coming season. Awesome. Thanks again, Maddie. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Needles. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And one last thing before you guys go. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well.